says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me, as always, to break down all of the Parramatta and NRL news from the week that was are my good mates, 60s and Quint. Fellas, great to have you on board. So much to talk about. There's a new eel on board. There's an eel that's left the roost. Plenty to discuss in this week's podcast. But first of all, how are you both doing? Well, mate, I'm doing really well. And matter of fact, I'm still on a high from last Friday night with that smashing of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Not not too many people saw it coming, but it was such a convincing win that you just couldn't ha- help but be happy for, uh, what is it now, like uh, 96 hours or something like that that we're up to. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still... I'm still buzzing about it. So, uh, what about you, Clint? How, how have you been? Plenty of energy, gents. I was uh, I was actually watching this game away at a friend's at Penrith, and um, it was a uh, I was dreading the long drive back home after what we all anticipated was going to be a loss. But you know, fingers crossed for the best. And didn't we get more than the best? It was phenomenal. I, I was alert the rest of that drive home and. And I was, I was ready to do the trip back and forth again. I was that happy. <laughs> well, speaking about being happy, we're certainly happy to have our sponsors on board. we got Big Swing Golf at North Mead. Uh, get there if you – any event that you want to celebrate. I saw them put some social media postings up about hosting a, a 21st birthday there uh, recently. So get to Big Swing Golf at North Mead. Uh, we've got Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. Uh, they've been great sponsors of us for many years. So help support the people that have always supported the Cumberland Throw and help us to do what we do, which is to bring you the latest deals, information, news, match coverage, all all the good stuff that's blue and gold. And speaking of all the good stuff that's blue and gold, the home of the Eels, Parramatta Leagues Club, they're also great supporters of the Cumberland Throw. And uh, we are able to – we're privileged – to be able to present our live podcast in at Paraleagues on home matches and selected away matches. And this week, we're doing a pre-game podcast on Friday night. We'll be on from 6.15pm in Jack's Bar and Grill. And please make sure you're there because we have extra special guest, Parramatta Eels Premiership winner, Rugby League International, John Muggleton. He's a legend of the Eels. He's a legend to listen to for his anecdotes and uh, observations of the game. So make sure you're there from 6.15pm in Jack's Bar and Grill. Friday night, catch us and John Muggledon before the game. 40, hit that stinger. News team, assemble! And there's plenty going on across the NRL and in Paradise. And, fellas, we're going to start it off with what's the latest out of Parramatta. And kicking things off, the departure of a, of a, a fan favourite from our perspective, and that's Jake Arthur. Jake's, well, it feels like he's been with the club for an eternity because he's 
probably done about 10 pre-seasons since he was a ball boy at the Parramatta Reels all those years ago when Brad first started as coach. But after his this being his, this was his probably his third season from memory that he would have been playing NRL or had some NRL games. And he's now taken up a mid-season transfer to the Manly Warringah Seagulls. What's your thoughts? Yeah, it's very um, bittersweet, isn't it? It's probably the most appropriate word I can think of with Jake's departure. Um, you know, obviously, it leaves us, uh, from a, uh, an EEL club perspective, um, short some depth in the halves. But at the same time, you can only be happy for the opportunity for Jake. You know, he's, he's going with the club's blessing, uh, his father, his, the head coach's blessing. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is one of those rare instances where we see a, a player not only depart to um, another NRL club, but to a, a, a bitter rival in Manly Warringah and us cheering on Jake from afar. You know, I, I don't think um, there's um, there's certainly not any of us and the majority of the Eels fan base that wish uh, nothing but the best for Jake. And you know, it's um it's a shame, but, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's also a... a um, a good opportunity for him to step out and become his own man. And, oh, gents, what about the, um, could you imagine the conversation in the Arthur household as this subject came up and umming and ahhing, deliberating, getting to this point? Oh. Yeah, it would have been an interesting time with Brad juggling uh, the father's hat and the coach's hat. Uh, I mentioned before as well, when I said, as far as we're concerned, he's a fan favourite because also if, You've seen the some of the social media responses, uh, especially on the Eels Instagram as well. The number of fans there that are that are solidly behind Jake, and I mean genuinely solidly behind Jake. And sorry to see him go, and hoping that he comes back some, uh, you know, not too long down the track. There's uh, there's been it's the vast majority of supporters feeling that that way we still have the odd person out there who couldn't help themselves. But, you know, it's it was probably a, always a case of the majority of people feeling as, as we do, which was this is a talented young player making his way in the NRL. And, um, and we, where everyone should have been wishing him their best, it wasn't the case. There were crazy notions about favoritism and what have you which you couldn't have got further from the truth and in fact surely this move away from the the club at which his father is the coach I, I don't think you could get any for you, you, a stronger example that it was like he's literally been forced out of there because his father's literally signaled that he can't select him for the the next what best part of six years with the contracts for Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses. So he was going to have to wait for an opportunity through injury, or he was going to have to look at changing positions. Mind you, how interesting is that the comments of Anthony Seabold, did you read them about his yeah, big time. that, that with uh, Jake's size and his, def his defensive capabilities, that he is probably an option as a, a developing into a forward. So, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting that um, you know, and that's that's probably going to work to his favour going to another club to do that because I'm sure if he was, even though a lot of a lot of supporters feel this way, if he was making the transition 
from a half to a forward to increase this opportunity of being selected in first grade, we know there'd still be cries out there that, you know, where people would be saying, oh, Brad's only only doing that just to find a way to get his son into first grade, which would have been complete rubbish. Now when he can, he's able to go to another club and do this, if, if that's the path that he takes, there won't be any questions at all asked about that. And I hope he comes back to the Eels at some stage because, to me, he's always added to our team when he's been on the field, and I think he's a talent, and I've long thought that. So, um, Forty, your final thoughts on Jake? Yeah, it was a separation that was going to be coming at some point in the future, I felt at least, in terms of whether he wanted to be a pure halfback, and if that was the case. And obviously, like you'd said, 60s, you outlined it. He's got six years of NRL contract ahead of him from you know marquee players in Brown and, and Moses. So his sort of uh, opportunities were limited at Parramatta, but it felt like the separation was brought on prematurely by some of that nastiness that we've seen floating around from certain elements in the fan base, and that's a real shame. Uh, really happy to see Jake get an opportunity elsewhere. Um, you know, it, it's frustrating that it's manly from a Parramatta perspective. Uh, you know, so you sort of you almost are obligated to boo him as a seagull, though it's definitely not personal for him there in that regard. Uh, but. Yeah, really, really hope he can kick on there at Manly. He'll get more opportunities to play first grade with DCE being an origin half, obviously. And then on top of that, you know, the shooter situation uh, is a bit volatile for his health and, and all sort of the nicks he gets there. So he'll get plenty of opportunities to play football. Um, yeah, and, and he'll do a lot better outside of the unfair spotlight that's been uh, foisted upon him by that element of fans at Parramatta. Yeah, and although he's only signed to an 18-month contract at Manly... You, you have to look at the age of Daly Cherry Evans and say, well, he's really, even though he's still an origin player, he's really in the twilight of his career. He's He'd be winding down where he's heading. And and I guess then Jake and Manly, would they'd both get the opportunity to consider where he's at. Is he still a, a halfback at that stage? Has he transitioned into a forward? Um you know, you'd you'd also think he's only signed an eighteenth month deal if it if it starts as well as you you know what we might think it 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 may do. Then maybe they try to lock him up for a bit longer sooner rather than later. Um, but as one player departs, another player arrives, and after a lot of conjecture in the media, uh, one way where he was first of all arriving last week, and then we had the West Tigers hanging on to him over the weekend, and then there was even a possibility today that it wasn't going to happen. But Joe Offengaway has now officially joined the Parramatta Reels and he's been named in this week's team to take on the North Queensland Cowboys. Clint? Talk about your buzzer beat, beaters, gents. When, when, when was the release officially announced? I think at 3.59pm. Uh, a mere 60 seconds before... Um, the the Eels actually Tuesday. had number 10 vacant when they announced their team was Tuesday yeah. initially. Which, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I, I, when when I originally saw that, I said, oh, well, it looks like they got the deal done just in time, <laughs> um, even before the um, even before Joe's name was filled onto that team sheet. But, um, yeah, look, uh, pretty exciting to, to, to get someone of um, Joe's experience, you know, he's... he's um, played over 150 in NRL games, has um, played State of Origin as well. By all accounts, is a great clubman and team player. Uh, you know, we get to add him to our middle forward rotation. And, you know, he obviously comes into the starting side this week uh, uh, amidst a, um, 
a depleted parameterials forward pack for a number of reasons. Um, but you know, I, I look forward to seeing his not only his acquisition but his evolution as he um, becomes a member of, of our um, of our regular seventeen. You know, I, I feel as though uh, moving forward he'll offer a lot of value off the bench. And um, you know, uh, that that full strength forward pack is starting to look a little bit better now with um, the acquisition of Joe and some of and the development of some of our other players throughout the course of this season. Forty, I want to throw the question to you about it in a different way, which is that in the uh, at, towards the end of last season, the Eels missed out on uh, Marty Talpa'u. He's um, and now we've picked up Joe Offengawe. Where what what's what's the better outcome? Would it have been better to get Marty? Would it have been are we better off now that we've got? Uh, Joe O. I think with the benefit of 12 months of hindsight to look back on now and the emergence of Witter McGregor across the last sort of six weeks, that perhaps from a pure, if you take apart no consideration of age, which is obviously a big one, which we'll get back to, uh, but just the pure fit, that perhaps uh, Joe is now a better fit for the Eels than Marty was 12 months ago, uh, given that we now have what looks to be three really high-caliber props with that third piece being the developmental guy in, in Wiramu. And then you factor in age. And we knew that if we were going to get Marty back then and even coming into this off-season when he was, you know, uh, rumoured strongly to be tied to the Eels before making that 11th hour off backflip to the Brisbane Broncos, we knew that any sort of uh, partnership between the Eels and uh, Tapau would be one of short term, essentially twelve months, maybe the second time, second year of a contract could be ratified some way, but you'd be going into that knowing that Marty could be looking at a drop off. Whereas Joe, I think he's twenty seven, twenty eight, still in the prime as a middle forward. Uh, I think it's a very good fit for the Parramatta Eels in that regard. So uh, good luck, good management. What do you what do you put it down to? The Eels have always been opportunistic when it comes to this stuff, and. While we can disagree collectively that they uh, about their approach to the top 30 this year in, in terms of how many spots they kept open, there's a reason they always keep their powder dry for mid-season transfers so they can leap on the guy that they want when he's available. Yeah, and it, and it certainly feels like this has been one where uh, whatever way that the Eels came about it, whether they had... Um, Joe off in Galway on their radar anyway, regardless of whether they were going to pick up uh, Marty towards the end of last year. But yeah, he's in terms of the timing, it was certainly essential that we get him this week. You got the sense today that uh, maybe there were some shenanigans that the Tigers were carrying on with. Do you feel like it was a little bit of, um, you know, we, uh, we don't forget easily what happened around ice and we'll give you a little bit of your own medicine back. Do you think there was an element of that going on today? Well, it's hard not to think that because, you know, there was certainly an air of um, chest beating about um, the Tigers chairman's comments earlier today, you know. I wonder if some of that's on the back of a little bit of um, confidence of, of um, the previous weekend's victory and, and racking up that big score at Leichhardt. But... You know, um, oh, he's a he's a scallywag, isn't he? He's such a scallywag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you you're probably using a lot kinder words than 
um, I'd say the, uh, the the Eels fans were probably using today, um, waiting with bated breath to see whether Joe would be announced, and probably likely also the Tigers fans. I know he's um, you know he's, he has a he has a mixed reception down there at Leichhardt. So yeah, look, you know, is, there's understandably he's just trying to do the the, the, the best for his club, but um, you know. It's. Um, I, I, I said to to John before we we hit record that you know if, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it must surely be a duck. And you know the the the, the fans these days aren't easily fooled. You know I, I think we heard those comments and it, it, it definitely had the smell of someone that was um, trying to um, trying to control their own PR. Uh, you know I, I don't know what's to to be gained through doing that because one when it's so transparent that that's taking place. You, know, you, you only um, create distrust within the fan base with everything that you say. And, you know, his, his words over the passage of the day have been proven to, to age poorly. But, you know, um, I, 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 I don't think, you know, regardless of what has or hasn't happened in the past with negotiations between the Eels and the Tigers, there's nothing to be gained by carrying this on. You know, I, I think you, you'll let bygones be bygones and, you know, because you're going to have to do, likely do business with each other again at some point in the future. So well, let, let's, let's make it a smooth experience for everyone while still, you know, maintaining, you know, when I say that, maintaining a level of professionalism, but also protecting the integrity and best interests of your own club that you're representing. Yeah. And, and I think if, uh, if anything had a transpired where the Tigers blocked off in Gowie coming to the Eels, I don't think they would have ended up with a very happy player on their books whatsoever uh, because everything was all a goer last week. Um, the plug was pulled at the last minute. If the plug was pulled again, you can almost guarantee that the player himself would would not have been a happy camper. Um, but there are all... there. Look, there's, I just want to quickly mention a couple of other rumours that are floating around. And I don't really want to dive into it, fellas, because they are only rumours. There's the rumour that was put out about the mole regarding uh, Connor Tracy. And there's been a bit floating around as well uh, about uh, Brian Kelly. All we'll say at this stage is, like, haven't really heard too much about it outside of just the names being mentioned by some people. So I don't know that there's too much in that. So let's instead jump on to something that's broken a little bit later. And in fact, it wasn't even on our run sheet at the time that we were uh, planning out tonight's podcast, which is the uh, further announcement for the Eels NRLW team, more more signings that have been made. So the Eels have added Chantel Stowers, Madeline Jones, Talisha O'Neill, Kyra Simon and Kelsey Clark. And they've also said without naming them that there will be four more uh, players that will be added as development contract players to the roster. So I think that gets us pretty close to the roster being finalised. It was due to be finished, I think it was tomorrow by 5pm, that NRLW rosters had to be finished. So um, we will have a post going up. We've got a new contributor to the Cumberland Throw. Kai Ferreira will be covering the... Parramatta Eels 2023 NRLW side with our with the previews, um, some specialist uh, special articles on the team, and uh, there'll be something coming up very very soon. So stand by for that. He'll be giving his takes on what the roster has 
come together like. So, but in the meantime, fellas, and I'll start with you, Clint, what's your take on how the Eels NRLW roster now shapes up? It's been an interesting way in which the, uh, the, the we've sort of seen, I guess, you know, there was, there was the, the initial announcement around Kennedy, um, you know, also with the Rachel, Rachel Pearson, likewise with um, not too long after that LCR. But then there was a period where it was very quiet. We saw a group of um, players announced another week or two past, a couple of other little additions, and then this big announcement today as well. Uh, I, I guess it's probably a little bit, um, uh, it paints a little bit of a spotlight onto how the Eels football department go about their recruitment and retention, not just with the men's side, but also the, the women's side. And that, um, you know, we um, we go about it with, without a fuss and, and we make an announcement when we've got things to say. And John, as Clint just said, it ended up, I won't say like an avalanche of signings, but we certainly ended up with an acceleration of the signings that were announced. Maybe it wasn't that they were done, but uh, rather the, the, the announcements seemed to come in a little bit of an avalanche. And uh, it leaves us with a very uh, much a mystery to the new team, isn't it? Like there are familiar faces. There are players that are known quantities externally as well, uh, but how they all fit together in the composition of the team uh, from fullback, starting with fullback right through to that uh, last forward on the bench, you know, we're going to have to discover this new team. It's going to be very exciting. Yeah, and I, I guess we're also very pleased um, just before these uh, most recent signings were announced that Ruby Jean Kennard was also announced as um, extending with the club past her what was her rookie season last year where she was straight out of the uh, Tasha Gale competition, um, being the the first pathways product of, a, of an NRL club going from the, the junior girls' pathways through into the senior team in the same club. So she's been a history maker at the club. We're glad that she's signed on. But as you said, there's there's plenty that we have to discover about the Eels as well. And the good thing, I think, this season is that with the expansion of the competition, we have nine normal rounds. So the clubs can build into the season a little bit more, can't Form they? Can rather a little feeling, bit too, exactly. You know, rather than feeling as if, um, as it was last year, where the Eels qualified for finals football on the back of one win. Yep, agreed. And and then winning their semi-final, and therefore they're in the in the grand final after two wins. Now we were rejoicing in being in the grand final in the NRLW, but you 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 want to see a team build up their form. And and whilst there was a build in the form last season, when when you've only got five matches. For the season, it's pretty hard to really uh, even f- like find a, a pattern of play that you that you recognise as being, you know, para football for the NRLW. So um, yeah, that's something to look forward to. Now, Team List Tuesday, fellas, Team List Tuesday, and not only have we got that new face in Joe Off and Goway, but we've also got another debutante in Luca Moretti. He's been lighting it up a bit in the uh, New South Wales Cup and there's been some predictions that we've made recently that he's probably going to be the next forward to debut. Clint, how how much of, uh, are you looking forward to seeing Luca get that NRL debut? Very much so. You know, this is this is a just reward. And we've, we've referenced Luca as one of the 
um, shining lights in a very mixed form um, form line for the New South Wales Cup side. But for anyone who hasn't seen him, you know, he's, he's, he's a forward that has that leg speed, um, certainly gets over the advantage line, plenty of aggression. You know, he, he's, he's the exact type of archetype of, I guess, smaller middle forward with the capability of playing on the edge that um, Brad Arthur over the years has has really, um, really developed to, to another level. So it'd be interesting to see how he goes in the top grade and, and handles that step up. But, you know, um, I'm, I, I'm, although I'm, you'd never have, expect big things of a debutant, I'm, he's one of those boys that I'm, I'm quietly confident has, you know, has that, that level of progression in him and to play to the level which he's involved in. You know, and his, his New South Wales Cup performance probably over the last um, four or five weeks have been averaging well over 150 metres a game and, you know, um, leading the line, uh, the defensive line in the New South Wales Cup all year. Um, been one of the brief shining lights. I, I, I um, you know, whether he gets a handful of minutes or, you know, we, we see him out there for 30-odd for, um, minutes you know, probably it to be seen. I, I, I weigh probably on the on the side that he'll he'll get some of those relief minutes, most likely for for Matt Dory, as also as the um maybe if Jermaine Hopgood um needs needs some minutes on the bench as well. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him go out there and and um, show what he's got in the top grade. I'm really keen on what Forty's thoughts are here because this is now Luca's second season with the Eels, and Forty was quite keen on his prospects when. He first came across to us uh, as part of the Roosters system where he was playing with the North Sydney Bears and had a bit of promise there. He certainly had some junior uh, pedigree in his background, 40. Yeah, well, first of all, i got to say, uh, uh, due to my Italian heritage on my father's side, brought a tear to my eye, old uh, Giuseppe Ofengahi and Luca Moretti on uh, TNS Tuesday, <laughs> the real Italian mobster connection there. Thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you, Luca. Uh, but yeah, uh, we've been not not sweating on this debut, bar boys. But he's certainly been one of the worthy ones in a team that's been decidedly unworthy in the reserve grade for arm stakes. You know, we, we've talked about how inconsistent they've been and the issues they've got roster wise, in particular, uh, more so than anything else. Uh, but Luke has been one of the good ones, and yeah, when he came across last year, sixties, we we sort of spoke about him at the time as one of the more intriguing prospects. Uh, with the Eels always loving to get that sort of uh, diamond in the rough from other clubs and whether it's a, a reclamation project, which wasn't Lucas' case. He was just a young forward that hadn't really realised his potential and we barely saw him. He just got nicked up. Uh, we don't get the uh, injury sheets for uh, reserve grade very often. Uh, so you sort of have to be paying a lot of attention to like all the action to catch what might have been the issue for an injury in a given game. He, just, he sort of just faded away last year. And then this year, he's just, yeah, been really, really good. Uh, has played in the middle, both as a lock and a prop. Has played on the edges when asked, although I'd, I'd argue he's probably better as a out-and-out middle. Uh, but, yeah, he's been really good. And it's not to say he hasn't had his lapses and made his mistakes, but this is a worthy call-up. He deserves his shot here. And while it's been an opportunity granted because of a whole swath of injuries, that's how football works. And maybe he just takes that opportunity and, and he might get bumped out next week because there are guys returning. Or maybe he turns this into an opportunity to just get his foot in the door. And that's what I'm well, hoping. Yeah, well, first of all, it's a dream come true for anyone that makes their NRL debut. So I'm going to be glad that we're all there, that it's a home game and we can cheer him on when he mm-hmm. he gets to run on for the his first ever occasion of, of being an NRL player. He was part of the Italian World Cup squad and got some uh, action over there 
in the World Cup over in the UK at the end of last year. And correct me if I'm wrong, Forty, was he a, a schoolboy international or high-level rep player in both union and I, I believe he came across with a bit of a some some chops in rugby union, yeah. So he might have been a dual. You might be right. Might have been a dual schoolboy, uh, union and leaguey. Yeah, yeah. I've I've just got that in the back of my mind that when we were doing a, a little bit of a background on him near, you know, like eighteen months ago or whenever it was that he was his signing was first announced, that we thought, well, you know, this is this is intriguing. Like, and and we looked at his highlights package as well, and we thought, well. You know, there, there could be something to this player. Um, and, yeah, you mentioned there about being nicked up a bit last year. And it just – it was a year probably that he'd like to forget in terms of just being able to get that consistency out on the field. Although, being able to get to the World Cup in the uh, Italian team and um, uh, fly the – what is it? The Azuri? Is that the – The Azuri, yeah, for the – Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. So anyway, we're, we'll we'll give, make sure we're we'll we're, we're, we'll be there. We'll make sure we give an extra big cheer when he gets onto the field. But you touched on the players missing this week. Like it's, uh, I guess we're lucky in a way, and it's terrible to say lucky because we're talking about a player missing out. But uh, Jermaine Hopgood in not making the Queensland team helps to keep a level of. Um, recognisability about the Eels pack this week, but we're talking about uh, Reg being out still, uh, getting close to coming back, but he's out, Junior's out, Laney's out, um, Andrew Davies out, Maddo. uh, Maddo's out. Yeah, it's it's well over 700 games of general experience between all yeah, those so uh, frontline forwards. We've seen that the Cowboys have lost four players to uh, Origin. They, it does look like Talmalolo, although they've only named him on the reserves list, you can almost bet that they'll be hungry to get him back if he's if he's anywhere near some level of fitness um, getting over his injury, then I don't think there's any doubt that he'll be included. Clint... Uh, how does this balance? Is there does it balance out between the the missing players of the Eels and the Cowboys in your mind? Yeah, it, it's an interesting debate because as you go through the team list, you look at you look at our backline and you and you go, yeah, I'm feeling pretty comfortable with that. You know, that's the side that ran out and beat the the Rabbitohs last week. Um, and you look at the Cowboys backline and you go, okay, there's some new faces and some debutants there, some combinations that you know might have some Queensland Cup um, combination there for all we know, but largely at NRL level, um, you're brand new and something that we can test and probe. And then you sort of shift to the forward packs and we touched on the 700 games of experience we're missing. And you look at the, the Cowboys forward pack and, you know, there's um, uh, uh, what Tom Alola to come back into that. Nanai is currently out as well. Um, but apart from that, some very seasoned first graders in the Cowboys pack also coming off a very big loss. You know, and you and you sort of wonder is 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 their mind uh, mind space and 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 headspace okay? You know, we've we've got to just put that out of our our minds and and come and give it um, you know, come at this week as though it's a new week. Last week didn't happen. We're focused. We're ready to go. Or is their confidence a bit dented? And you know, that experience maybe um, not as valuable in a situation um, 
like this because th- those those experienced players were part of the problem last week for the Cowboys. Uh, I've, I've I've talked myself in and out of how this game's <laughs> going to go um, for probably the better part of the last two or three hours, and I've and I've made a case either way, gents. So um, I'm absolutely going Switzerland on this one. And uh, look, I just look for our forwards to to do the job as they did against the the bunnies last week. No one needs to do anything fancy as, as long as they can hold their own there, particularly defensively. Um, our fine should have enough to get the job done. Okay, now John, we're going to be obviously getting more into this when we do our preview mm-hmm. podcast. But on the balance of it, if let, let's take the stance of um, you being a Cowboys supporter. Would you be happier with having the players out there who were embarrassed by the Tigers, the the bigger name players, or would you be keen to see what we're what we're seeing with the um, a bit of fresh blood that's brought in that um, they may be looking to lift in their uh, first games in. North Queensland Cowboys colours. I look at the, some of the names that they've brought in and I'd be a little bit reserved if I was a Cowboys fan. Um, you got Zach Laybutt, who was the, not, not the one that would probably be more comforted, uh, uh, more used to. Sorry. Familiar with? Familiar with, yeah, I got there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe it's his brother, though, uh, playing in the centres. You got Robert Darby on the wing. Uh, you got Ben Hampton at 5'8". So what, what the Eels have lost in the forward pack, at least for the short term now, uh, it looks like the Cowboys have gotten the flip side in the back line. No Murray Talangi, no Valentine Holmes, no, uh, not Chad Townsend. He's obviously Tom playing Dearden. there. Tom Dearden. Tom Dearden. Yeah, Tom Dearden. Uh, so they're significant outs there. And while, yes, they, as a fan, you'd want to see changes from last week, these changes are the ones being enforced by State of Origin. So I'm not necessarily happy with the changes if I'm a fan because it's it's still inertia from the coach. He's, he's only making the changes because the changes are being forced by representative selection. Well, we've got two preview podcasts coming up. We've, of course, got the preview podcast that we will be providing prior to match day here on TCT. But we also have our special preview that is a completely different preview that we'll be doing at Parramatta Leagues Club prior to the game on Friday night. So make sure you're there for 6.15pm for that with our special guest, John Muggledon. But we, I do want to dive a little bit into the lower grades of the Parramatta Eels. Uh, the New South Wales Cup team, we've got Dejan Arcee moved into the halves to cover for the movement of Jake Arthur to Manly. Would you be... Uh, do, do you think we need a specialist halfback, Clint, or or is it now up to Dejan to maybe like put a, a highlight on his name as having that extra versatility to cover, I guess, almost every backline position if the Eels need him in the NRL team? It's certainly an opportunity for Dejan Arcee to do exactly that. But, gents, you know, we, we've lost a, a very good kicking game in the New South Wales Cup in releasing Jake Arthur. You know, we've also, we, we've also lost the backup kicking option, um, preferential kicking option in NRL if something happens to Mitch Moses. Obviously, he went down with concussion and had the 11-day um, stand-down protocol um, come into place. That saw him miss the game against Canberra and Jake come in. So and can, I, can, I, uh, can I also say as well that we, prior to his elevation to first grade and therefore missing a round in the New South Wales Cup, 
there were quite a number of categories in the in the New South Wales Cup, uh, like line engagements and uh, receipts. You led almost every whole, start, didn't you? Yeah, all, like, was there was a whole very, very the, mo- the most dominant half in that grade. You know, so we're we're talking about the best quality backup you could hope for. Um, He he leaves a massive hole in that team. But, you know, with that comes opportunity for someone like Dejan. And we can, you know, he he gets a chance to prove himself against the the first place North Sydney Bears this Friday. But, you know, I I look at that New South Wales Cup side and, you know, obviously um, Jordan Rankin will, will, will do a job there at seven. But, you know, we saw Jordan and, um, and I believe it was Jaden Yates in the halves a couple of weeks ago when Jake was playing first grade in the, in, uh, in the Canberra game and, um, and Dejan playing at, at fullback that week. And, you know, we, we didn't offer much in that particular game. So, you know, and I, I wouldn't imagine too much um, changes from Dejan's remit apart from the fact that he's defending in the front line instead of behind it now. You know, he, he still would have been just as involved in the... Um, in, in the attacking structures at fullback as he will be at six. So, you know, um, I, I, I think we watched this one with interest, but my personal preference is that we do get another specialist seven that's capable of coming up and playing first grade um, should something happen to Mitch, you know, and I'd be look where, where we want to replicate that is in, in the aggregate is someone who can kick well. Yeah. Um, the, uh, Forty. I'd like to get your takes on the move of uh, moving Zach Sini to fullback. He did a little bit of training there during the preseason. I think it's fair to say that he's had some struggles defensively out at centre. Is this a better move for him to be playing at fullback, in your opinion? Well, you know, I tend to err quite healthily on the side of positivity and optimism when it comes to Parramatta, but. Looking at this back line, it's pretty grim. You know, it, it's difficult to sugarcoat it. Uh, we've got Hayes Dunster and what feels like a couple of you know puck footballers in uh, Minhinik and Tupo. Uh, Lumi Lumi's a very, very fringe first grader. And, and Zach, you see flashes of great play from him. And that's what makes it so frustrating watching him uh, with the issues he has defensively. So maybe the shift to fullback is something that can ignite him in that regard. Keeps him more heavily involved consistently in the offense. Uh, restricts his uh, defensive issues to defending at the last line, but that used that that used to be a popular opinion about hiding a player at fullback. These days, I don't think you can hide players at fullback defensively. The the fullback is so involved; they're the thirteenth man in the line so often now, dropping back to uh, you know get to red zone defensive packages when needed. So yeah, I don't know. Um, they have to be reading the defensive needs of the entire exactly. team, not just themselves. It, it used to be the guy you could hide there and just, you know, take the kick and then shovel it off to a winger. Now, though, you're like you said, you're diagnosing on the fly. You're sort of playing this cat-and-mouse game with the halves as to whether they're going to kick early to try and catch out of position. Uh, you're watching out for 40-20s because more and more halves have got better long kicking games these days. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see how Zach Sini is going to handle this transition. Uh, but, geez, like in general, it's very hard to be excited about this back line like I said, Hayes Dunster feels like the only NRL prospect, and we all like Hayes, but he's just coming back from injury, which is why he finds himself in the New South Wales Cup. Uh, but, yeah, outside of that, it's it's pretty rough looking, and you already talked about the importance of having an organising half. Maybe Ethan Sanders can be that guy cup level later this year uh, when he gets back from uh, the injury sustained on the weekend. But right now, yeah, it's a very, very tough reading. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna be the glass half full and say that maybe this 
having to focus as much on uh, being defensively strong might be the making of Zach Sini mm-hmm. in terms of uh, bringing out his best in defence. I think it gives he's he's certainly going to have the opportunity to run the ball at, at fullback. But um, yeah, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the positive stance that we might we might start to see the the best of him there, but. I'm also keen on, and I'm going to throw it to you here first, Forty, because um, I, I want to highlight the Jersey flag selection of Josh Lynn. Now, he's come into the team in the halves because the highly rated Ethan Sanders, the colonel, has gone and have, uh, he now has a hand injury, which is like... He is not figure looking good right now. Yeah, so he's... Uh, You'd have to say that the Eels probably planned that Ethan would be elevated to New South Wales Cup at some time soon, mm-hmm. but that's now been delayed by injury. It then brings up his halves partner from the SG ball team in Josh Lynn to get his uh, debut for the Eels jersey flag team. So, yeah, Forty, your, t- your takes on um, one door closing, another door opening. Isn't that the way it works in football, right? Injury opening opportunities up for other players. Look, Josh Lynn comes to us via Queensland this year. Forty did a very, very tidy job uh, in the SG ball throughout that push towards the title. Um, he definitely found an extra level when Ethan Sanders joined him in that grade, and they created a nice little battery of playmaking there. Uh, the big question for Josh will be in these uh, coming weeks, where he'll get a hope uh, prolonged look at the jersey flag while Ethan is out, is uh, how he handles that step up in physicality. He's going from under-19s to under-21s. Uh, it's a, In terms of that, that physical development for the opposition, it's a significant jump. You're going to see some very big boys in this grade. And uh, they're going to be directed at him because, you know, when they do their tip sheets and do their previews during the week, they're going to say, this is the new young half. Go at him. You know, you've got to run your lines at him and, and try and pick him out. So how he handles that defensive uh, sort of physicality and, and question mark will be the big test for him. But... I think he's going to distribute the ball nicely. He's got a good long kicking game. Um, I, I really liked what he did in the final for the SG ball. I thought he mirrored a lot of Ethan's best plays really nicely in his own regard down that uh, right edge of it on his own. So looking forward to what he can bring to this team. And and on top of that, um, you know, the, the player we're not really talking about lately because we've had Ethan Sanders in the grade is Mac Bofisi. And I think Mac will do a good job taking some pressure off him. Yeah, well, we had the Jersey flag players that were doing a very good job of, um, you know, some of them playing out of position. And Mac Tufisi's, he's a giant of a half because he's, what, he's about six foot four, I'd say. Six Just three, six four, at, pretty comfortably, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, very tall, uh, quite a strong build for a uh, someone who plays in the halves, although is there a standard build for someone that plays in the halves these days? Probably not, probably not. So, um Clint, what's your expectations of how Josh Lynn will perform this week? I think Forty touched on quite nicely there. You know, in, in that um, SG Ball final in particular, you know, um, mirroring a lot of the play that uh, Ethan Sanders was producing. You know, and, and I do. You know, he, he and Ethan have played um, plenty of football together. I'm sure they'll have a word this week about. Um, you know what Josh is to expect, and he's he just got to do his job. He's got. He's, he's got to. Um, kick and clear the ball and, and you know, um, work on some plays down his edge, you know, and 
it, it will be kept right, relatively simple for him for these first couple of weeks. We touched on the physicality before. Um, that'll be the step up there. But, you know, um, it, this this weekend and um, likely the, the coming weeks, it's just about finding your place and a level of comfortability in that grade. And I think uh, over the course of the, the next few weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll see him start to evolve his game there and, and probably replicate a lot of what he produced throughout the SG ball season. Now we're going to move from paradise to the NRL in general. And I guess technically that what we're going to talk about, first of all, with origin is not really NRL. It's, it's the New South Wales rugby league and the Queensland rugby league, <laughs> but uh, fellas, let's rather than just running through the team sheets, I'm going to throw to you now first, Clint, are there any, surprises in the Queensland team, first of all, or anyone that you feel is pretty hard done by? And what's your take on the strength of their team overall? Well, first up, you know, we've heard for how many, I'm going to say decades, because it's pretty much been since the, the inception of State of Origin. Queensland picks and sticks. Well, not if you're Dan Gagai this year. Uh, you know, very, very interesting to see him overlooked and, um, you know, we, we, we saw Billy front oppressor uh, yesterday following the announcement, um, you know, almost justifying some of his uh, selections. And, you know, uh, the rationale behind some of that was because, um, you know, some players weren't defending as well and, um, you know, had some off games. And, you know, uh, fortuitously for us, but, um, you know, interestingly from a Queensland perspective is, Geez, you know, Valentine Holmes and Murray Tuolangi were a part of the problem against the Tigers last week. You know, Valentine Holmes in particular got, uh, he got stood up a handful of times by Stafford Toa. Um, likewise, it's interesting to see um, Hamaso Tabuai Fido selected at centre when he's played fullback all year. Obviously, you know, um, the it's it's about, from a coach's perspective at that level, it's about picking the best players you believe you have available to you and the numbers on the back um, figure themselves out. But, you know, um, he, he's a potential spot player. He hasn't, he hasn't tackled anyone in a long time. Likewise, we've got the, de uh, the debut of Reese Walsh, who, you know, has had a fantastic start to this year. But Origin's another level, you know, and you combine that with some of the mixed form of some of these other players within, in the back line. Uh, there, there, there might be some potential holes there for the New South Wales side to explore. Uh, I also look at their forward pack and, you know, um, I'd say the, the second row is probably weren't um, who Billy originally had in mind uh, going in, into this NRL season. Um, but, you know, uh, David Fafita has obviously proved himself with some decent performances for the Titans this year. Uh, interestingly that we see uh, because of the announcement of Josh Papali's uh, origin retirement, uh, Tom Flegler um, starts. Um, and likewise, you know, Lindsay Collins, you know, he's been in a team that's uh, been a very, although a decent performer in that side, a, a mixed performing Roosters side. So there's definitely some names in there that um, I, I look at and with, with some intrigue and, you know, wonder about the um, the methodology behind that. Particularly, you know, obviously there's probably a, a plan to reduce some interchanges by having Big Tino on the bench there. But, um, you know, at the same time, if, if you want someone going um, blow for blow in, in the opening 20 with Payne Haas and you're a Queenslander, Tino's probably the person you identify as being that player. So it's interesting that he starts from the bench, at least to begin with. Uh, Forty, I want to bring you in to, to get your takes on the New South Wales team uh, and putting it up against the uh, what Clint has just said about the Queensland team. Look, um, 
there's definitely a couple of head, sc- head scratches, but a couple of uh, contentious picks in the New South Wales squad. I like the back line. I, I do feel that Teddy's been playing below his best this year, but at the same time, he's the uh, presumptive in New South Wales fullback uh, until he isn't. Um, To'o, Adokar, Mitchell, Trebojevic, uh with that big asterisk next to Tommy because up until last week, uh, like the very last round, I thought that he'd been playing ordinary football and looked like a man that didn't want to get hurt until he played against Canberra and tore them a new one. Uh, but, yeah, you, you can't talk about the New South Wales selections without talking about uh, Freddie going uh, wild card with Tavita Pangai Jr. Uh, don't really know where that came from. The media are trying to argue that it's a response to getting bullied in Game 3 last year. I don't know. Like, it just feels like Freddie being Freddie, honestly. Um, <laughs> he couldn't He couldn't seem to settle on uh, selecting the form front rower last year, could he? No, no. And I think we actually saw that play out uh, in a different way, but the same this year. With uh, Not that I disagree this time, this time uh, with Appy Sarkozy getting picked at dummy half, but Latrell made some comments yesterday about how disappointed he was that Damien Cook had been overlooked. And I was like, well, Latrell, your problem is, while you're a big popular player, you're only one big popular player when the halfback controls most of the team selections in this one. Uh, so like Penrith having that big influence on uh, selections at six, nine, uh, and, you know, across uh, across in the forwards too uh, because of Nathan Cleary. So, look, I think it's a decent New, New South Wales team. I don't mind the Hudson Young pick. I like Tyson Frizzell as a player. I think we could be doing more with that slot. Um, you know, he's not a young man anymore. We need to, you need to be balancing, you know, building for the future and picking the best players available. And I think that one's probably uh, erring on the wrong side of getting the best player available in balance of like building towards the future. Uh, but, you know, the rest of them, I, I don't know what Nico Hines brings on the bench too. I know he's the popular man right now, but uh, I don't know. Like there's talk of trying to get all three halves onto the field at the same time. Nico's been training as the backup dummy half. Well, right. can I throw this to you? Would you have selected... Pines or Luai at 5'8"? I, I think in terms of the best fit for Origin, I think you could have made a case for a combination of uh, Cleary and Hines or Cleary and Moses. Because at Origin, having multiple strong long kickers is huge. Having guys that can play all three phases, which is the run, pass and kick, is huge. You know, having guys that uh, are good defensively, which is something that Mitch is definitely criminally underrated for in that regard, is big. So... Look, that's me, some blue and gold glasses on there too. But also with Nico Hines, I think he would have been a good partner for Nathan Cleary. And this club combinations thing is massively overrated. Massively. Because you're not afforded the same luxury of time and space and referee interpretations in club land that you get in state of origin. And that's part of the reason why I think we've seen the Penrith combination, quote-unquote, struggle so badly at state of origin level and not reproduce anywhere near their uh, club land form. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to – I guess the only thing I'm going to say, because we'll probably talk a little bit more about the origin next week, but I'm not a fan of Jerome Luai for a number of reasons. And uh, I, I I think there's a lot more to do uh, – there's a lot more that Cleary has to do with the success of the Penrith Panthers than what Luai does. Um. And now I, I want to segue from that into looking at the suspensions that have come about this week, and I'll get into the the actual suspensions that have happened. But Luai should he have been suspended for manhandling the 
touch judge. And is there, do you have any thoughts that maybe it was because it's origin time that they weren't ever going to suspend him? Clint? Big time. Big time. It was absolutely an origin influence decision. You know, it wasn't uh, on the surface uh, so much a, a bad offence that you could say, yep, throw the hammer down. But what are we told all throughout junior sport, all throughout the years? You do not touch the officials. He you did leave it twice. Them alone. He, yeah. Like, he's, he's given him the shove in the back and then he's given him, like... Uh, the tap, then the, the tap afterwards. Yeah, and yeah. It, like... we, we, we've been told all throughout, you don't touch the officials. So on the surface, it's just sort of been mulled over and, you know, nothing to see here, folks. But it's actually a big deal, suspension. I mean, in the Channel 9 coverage, uh, Sam Thade touched on um, post-game that he'd been suspended in his career for doing exactly that. Uh, you know, I don't think enough of a big deal was made about that. And what type of precedent are we setting, uh, you know, not just for player behaviour, but but also in terms of um, you know, what's acceptable for kids to do in local football every weekend. You never touch the officials, never. And I'm really frustrated that uh, an origin, uh, quote-unquote, decision was made for this. Uh, I don't care who you are. You know, th- there's a certain message we should be sending with that, and he should have been slapped with at least a one-game ban. All it does is reinforce how momentary and temporary any given crackdown is because remember when Kieran Foran was at Parramatta way back in 2017, we saw that official touching crackdown where there are times where the officials actually got in the way of a player leading to a touch that led to a game suspension. Whereas here you've seen a player go through an official to get to a player and celebrate a try causing the, the issue there. So yeah. Don't well, know. I guess the, the way I judge it is you have a look at the face of the official. Like when he got that, the shove in the back, he turned around like, what's going on here? And then you had, and, and I'm assuming Luai's probably gone something like that. Oh, I didn't mean to hit you, mate. You know, like with the tap on the, uh, on the shoulder and chest after that. But it just, it almost seems like he's oblivious to the severity of what touching an official means to flippantly, and I'm assuming that's what he was doing, apologising. But just the the manner of the apology, it, it almost shows that maybe he just wasn't even aware that you're not supposed to be touching an official like that. That's that's what it screams out to me. Now, just on another one that maybe um, was a little bit lucky was uh, the other Origin player from uh, the Queensland team. And uh, where there was the the shot into Reed Marnie from Big Tino. Now, there's been a range of different takes on this. You've had, uh, if we go to the Fox coverage, for example, you've had Mick Innes screaming from the rooftops that it was a use of an elbow or forearm into Reed Marnie. Then you, uh, then you also have the the takes from others who have said, look. No, it's Reed Marnie's got himself into a, a poor position. So I'll, I'll give you my take. Uh, to me, and I'm no fan of, of Tino or, or the Queenslanders, but I actually thought he was going for a palm there and that it's it, it was his uh, the area just below the wrist which made contact with Marnie. Maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I I took that as I was I was quite accepting of the fact that there wasn't 
the level of uh, contact that would warrant a suspension. But, fellas, you might disagree with me. Clint, what's your take on that one from Big Tino? I actually agree with you there, 60s. Um, yeah, look, you know, f- for me, it was just... It, it was exactly that, and you know, I'm 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 happy with the fine. I, I I think it's fine in terms of this one. You know, some Canterbury fans, if they happen to be listening, will probably feel otherwise. And you know, you can't help but feel in that Fox coverage there was this sense of New South Wales cheerleader uh, coming from Michael Ennis there. You know, um, particularly with how immediate and uh, emotional that response was. You know, and you know, the power to him trying to trying to use that position sway sway an outcome. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think it was fine. 40? I'll take the opposing view here, if only through the methodology that we now see so much emphasis put on defenders where even if an attacker is slipping and they make contact with the head, that they get penalised. So applying that logic in reverse would imply that there is a duty of care from the attacker to avoid the defender no matter where they put their head with defend. So if we're talking about balanced interpretations on attack and defense, then yeah, Tino got it wrong, and the official should have penalised him. Uh, whether well, it was worthy of a suspension, I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see the the takes of our listeners. So, people, if you've got the opportunity to jump in and add your thoughts on whether Big Tino should have been suspended or not, whether Jerome Luai should have been suspended or not, we'd be interested in hearing what you've got to say. But let's talk about a couple of repeat offenders. Yeah, those bad boys, uh, Victor Radley and our good mate Cal Fusi, who certainly has his history with Eels players. Both of those boys, gee, they walked a common, uh, a very regular path down to the judiciary and they've popped a three-week suspension, both of them. <sighs> mate, this, like... Let's start off with Victor Radley. That is an embarrassment for the game, by the way, what played out in that game, in that particular contest. An embarrassment. Complete failure does from the just get, does, does it, like, some sort of red film just come over his eyes? That it, like, when he's out there on the field, that, the, that he just gets triggered so easily that he loses self-control in the most ridiculous of ways? I mean, in what, in what world... Was he going to benefit from leading with the head? A world, a world where Trent Robinson and James Tedesco have been lobbying the media and the game about how unfairly he's treated, I suppose, because it worked. It worked. He wasn't even penalised. Like that, that's a send-offable offence, a sin bin at the very minimum, because you try and stamp that stuff out of the game when it pops up, because it is the ugliest stuff you can do when you start leading with the head and the damage you can do there. And it worked because the bunker didn't care and it was only the protest the protestations of the dragons fans when they saw the replay saying hey look look he, he uses his head that it got put on report for no penalty no penalty unreal unreal and you talk about you know uh fans being happy that brad arthur finally had to go at the officials and what it can do for Parramatta. look you need to look no further than the roof to see what you can get away with when you start pressuring the game because victor radley is Far from being targeted, he is the most protected species in this game. Yeah, and I think that's a fair comment to make. Clint, do you see Victor Radley as a protected species? Certainly the narrative that was coming out of the Roosters camp that was picked up by the media was that, oh, look, he, you know, 
he might have made the odd error in the past, but this is a reformed character. He's a leader within the club. He's going to show the way. Is there anything different that we're seeing this year to what we've seen in past seasons from Victor Radley? Yeah, I'm calling bullshit on the roosters there, gents. Um, absolutely farcical to echo uh, 40 sentiments that he was allowed to stay on the field in any capacity. You know, there's, there's no better organisation in the NRL than the Sydney Roosters at being able to, I'm going to say, you know, a, a, a phrase that gets used quite often these days, control the narrative. You know, they manage their PR very well. And they're very good at playing both sides of the argument whenever it suits them. Um, particularly, you know, touching on... on, on um, you know, a lot of the attention that's been brought to James Tedesco over the last few years in, in terms of him being uh, targeted in the head. But, you know, you've got one of their own players in Victor Radley who seems to not be able to keep himself out of the way of doing exactly that. And they, 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 they want to cry innocence and, and, you know, oh, he's a good boy. You know, it's, it's just, they continue to play both sides of the, of, of, of the argument there. And, um, you know, power to them for doing that. I'm sure most most people in this situation will always try and get the, um, or most clubs will try to get the best um, outcome for them and their players. They're very good advocates um, as opposed to leaders in that regard. Very much um, good advocates. But where it's most frustrating is that the NRL seems to eat it up and that there's no consistent application of the rules or the punishment when it comes to this. It is, it is a, um, a personal um, reactive uh, reaction as opposed to a response based on whatever the um, whatever risk official says what yeah and we can't ignore the other bad boy out there which is Felice Gafusi 40 he, he's got such a long track record of uh, infringements Tough. that he makes out on the field has he got off light with three weeks in this instance probably I mean if it was an isolated incident, then you'd say, yeah, three weeks is probably a good, tough, you know, punishment to come out of it. But this guy's got so many priors, like deliberate fuggery. You know, you look what he did to Ryan Madison and, and the complete uh, imbalanced response there at the time as well. It, it's really bad for the Amateur Review Committee and the judiciary. Like, we, we, take about, we say we take player welfare seriously. Concussions are serious. You know, you... These things are massive KPIs for the game. And then you have players like Kafusi going out there and deliberately targeting heads. Like, you got to rub that stuff out. you got to rub those players out aggressively. Like, uh, I'm talking double-digit week, like, in terms of weak suspensions. Because deliberate fuggery like that, you're not a, you're not a tough man. You're not an enforcer. You know, you're, you're taking the coward's route. And unfortunately, yep. and I think we've... I've I've seen personally online at least some Melbourne fans that have sort of had their eyes uh, or a veil they say lifted off uh, off their eyes when it comes to Kafusi. It's like oh, you know maybe he was a bit of a fug. It's like yeah, do you think you want to look at Nelson Surface <laughs> Almona now? Like there there are some players where yeah like they that blur the line between playing tough and might get it wrong. Murata Niakore, you know he played he plays the game very tough. Sometimes he slips high. That's a, that's a huge difference between that and the deliberate acts of fuggery that some of these other boys get away with. Clint, would you say he's a player that crosses the line, Felice Cafusi? Oh, big time. You know, and, and talking back to that incident at Combank where he, he took down Madison, 
Oh, was it the 2021 season, gents? Like round two of the 2021 season, so, that yeah. first win. Um, could you imagine with the quote-unquote crackdown that's happened over the um, the past 12 months, what the punishment for that incident would have been now? Um, I think he would look at something not too dissimilar to um, a double-digit um, week suspension, you know. And uh, I, 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 I've. I've got to ask the question and wonder with someone with a track record like him and um, you know, a consistent track record of that, this is someone who gets suspended multiple times throughout the years. Um, all those prize that you touched on 40 it is at, at some point, when do, when does the NRL turn around and go, mate, stop it. You're sitting out three months. Mm-hmm. You just have not learned. So you know what? You need some time away from the game. And you probably need to go through some form of, um, I'll say, quote unquote, um, rehabilitation here to get this stuff out of your game. You're welcome to come back when we, you know, when you serve that suspension, and that we feel that you've done enough to show you know what I've, I've, I've curved my habits here. Yeah, so, and you know, back in the day, there was a, a bloke in charge of the judiciary named Jim Comans back in the uh, early eighties who found it necessary to hand out basically 12-month suspensions. It might have even been a 15-month one in there as well. But for acts of complete thuggery, that's what he said. He he basically said, you can't be in the game if you're going to do that sort of thing. And he really put stops on some careers, or at least long pauses on careers, to get that sort of garbage out of the game. I mean, we we used to see incidents where I think quite infamously uh, Peter Wynn, uh, like his life was literally put in danger when he was clobbered from behind in a match, like just a, a stiff arm across the back of the head after he'd passed the ball. Now, you, you talk about, um, you know, incidents that need to be taken out of the game. They had to be taken out of the game, those sort of shots, and they were. We saw, I think it was Bob Cooper from uh, West Magpies who uh, ran from one side of the field to the other to throw a punch, and he was put out for an extended period. I've got it in my head that it was either 12 months or 15 months that he might have been put out of the game for. There was uh, a whole lot of other things that were that happened back then to take players out of the game. Maybe, maybe that there needs to be... Um, some really serious punishments handed down, as you're suggesting. Now, fellas, we're going to wrap up this week with a story that keeps coming up from time to time, which is the cry from uh, the local uh, councils and also from Tiger supporters to get Leichhardt Oval upgraded. It's It seems to come out from uh, time to time. No doubt, as a venue... It is in the antiquated. It is an antiquated ground. They, the, and I've said it many, many times before. They call it the eighth wonder of the world. As far as I'm concerned, the only wonder about it is that it still stages NRL game. <laughs> like, let let's be honest. And and that's not that's not cut, throwing a stone at the West Tigers. That's like, like I feel sorry for them. They love the ground. Like I don't know why. I don't know why you would love going and standing on a hill and paying the money that they stand to go and uh, be on a hill. And, of course, the the media are so 
um, kind in how they talk about it, you know, like the, that it's beloved and all this sort of thing. Mate, I'll tell you how beloved it is. Against the against the Cowboys on the weekend, the media, the, the broadcast was talking about, look at this huge crowd at Leichhardt Oval bursting at the seams, 12,000. It was a crowd of 12,000. It was not a huge crowd. Not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, if you averaged a home crowd of 12,000 throughout the year, most clubs, you're talking about a disaster season, only having that many people turn up. Now, don't, now don't get me wrong. I get it. It was the Cowboys. They're not going to be bringing down a, a, a huge crowd. We're not going to see a massive crowd there at uh, Combank Stadium on Friday night. We'll see more than 12,000, but... You know, they everything is overplayed. The eighth wonder of the world, massive crowd. Look at the look at the crowd. Look at the the hill jam packed, mate. In the in this the the twenty first century, we people shouldn't be standing on a hill. People shouldn't be sitting on on plank seats. People shouldn't be out in the open like they are, or if they are which they shouldn't be, but if they are, they shouldn't be paying like $60, $70 a ticket to go and do that or not have facilities there, decent toilets, de- de- decent food facilities, a reserved seat, for goodness sake. What? What? Oh, so I guess from that perspective, I'm saying, yeah, it does if it's going to be an NRL venue, it needs an upgrade. Should it be an NRL venue is another matter. And should it have that money spent on it as an NRL venue? Clint, as we wrap up, what's your thoughts there? Well, any money that gets put in that shouldn't, um, at this particular point in time, only come from private investment. You know, there's no business case there at this point in time for there to be any government um, investment into Leichhardt Oval. To me, the the Tigers as an organisation ran their race when they didn't try and rebase themselves uh, full-time out of Campbelltown, team up with the MacArthur A-League side to go on a joint venture, similar to the way that the... um, the Eels and the Western Sydney Wanderers did in lobbying the government for joint funding because there'd be um, three, six, uh, 365 events there throughout the year, crossover with the NRL and A-League season. But we put that point aside for a moment. Probably part of the reason why this hasn't uh, become more of a discussion point over the last 20, 30 years, when it's really needed the upgrades way back then, is because of this false... Um, uh, perception that it is the eighth wonder. You know, it's, it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, for so many years, it hasn't um, got attention because everyone goes, it's great the way it is. It doesn't need anything more. Well, as far as 21st century stadia is concerned, as you touched on, 60s, it does not um, make the grade. You know, so any, any upgrades that take place there has to come from private investment, um, whether it's uh, um, any one individual or consortium have the desire to do that. You know, it's not exactly a money, a, a mass money generating exercise. So you're looking at people who are essentially super fans that want to do this this thing. And out of the kindness of their heart, uh, there's not too many people that want to do that. But, you know, I, I, there, there, there's no real case there, you know, and whether they have the means or not to actually make this a reality, um, you know, this, this seems just like another casual push and, 
and you know, I'm, I'm sure the council has got probably some master plan concept that they want to push out and, and um, you know, um, they're trying to gauge some type of reaction to it and uh, potentially push again for some, some future funding there. But you know, uh, this, this just feels like recycled news, gents. And 40, you don't live that far away from uh, Leichhardt Oval. No, a couple of suburbs over. Yeah, yeah. What's what's your thoughts on um, investing money in an upgrade? I, I just feel like anyone that praises Leichhardt Oval either is in the media so they have a different experience because they're not the ones actually using the amenities and, and sort of sitting out there with the average Joe or has never really been there. Uh, it It is just an awful, awful experience to try and park there. Um, there's not great public transport there. Uh, you know, it, it barely can function as a hub for the junior representative grand final, let alone an NRL venue. Um, yeah, and, like, you can put money into it, but then there, there's some stuff you can't do. Like, literally, their, their uh, goal line-facing uh, stand, the Keith Barnes stand, you can't touch, and it's not aligned to the field because it's aligned to the old alignment of the field. It, it doesn't actually sit face-on, and you can't fix that. So, I, look... I would, like you know, Quinn said, I'd, I'd rather see the Tigers commit to playing out of Campbelltown where they've put a lot of resources in and that can be their hub for the vast majority of their games. Uh, but, yeah, there just seems to be this romantic element to Leichhardt amongst rugby league, uh, like fans, media and whatnot, that I, I just do not understand. I, no, I don't understand it either, Forty, because I, uh, watching the... Um the mayors that were speaking about it, though, I think there's a couple of councils must be uh, nearby there, and they were they were talking about that they only want a certain level of investment to to bring it up to what they think is an acceptable standard because they'd want to keep the hills. What you want to invest in the in the, the stadium, but the hill is essential to keep at Leichhardt Oval. Crazy talk. That's an oxymoron. Yeah. It it, it just like uh, like I said to you, I, I I believe that you know I feel sorry for the Tigers playing out of that game, and it might that may be an insulting comment to Tigers supporters who apparently we as we keep getting told love Leichhardt Oval and love the Hill, which again we're we're talking about. We don't know how that's possible. Um, Luke, when I was when I was a kid, I loved being on the hill. When I'm an adult, I don't want to be I don't want to be paying out money to not have a seat, like to feel like you know I've got to I've got to lay some claim on the patch of grass that I'm on to be able to you know go off to the loo or go and get something to eat and come back to be in the same sort of location that I was in before. We're all used to going out to these suburban grounds um, quite a lot through the season when it comes to junior reps. And they're, they're, they're sort of acceptable as a venue to be inside of for junior reps. But as you mentioned there, 40, in terms of transport there, even, even with finals football for junior reps, and we're talking about there may be being 1,500 or so people yeah. there at any one time for junior football. You can't park within Cooey. You might fluke a parking spot, but people are having to park down in, what's the name of that function? Le Montage. Le Montage. Yeah. Le Montage. So people are having to go park down the bottom of that hill at Le Montage to get parking or having to go at you know some back street 
half a, a you know a kilometer away or something like that that just to just to try and get anywhere near the ground as i said for for such a small crowd it's just how it is there it needs if they were going to upgrade it i don't think they've got the infrastructure around there to be able to support it and and it seems like they're not interested in knocking things down and rebuilding and and trying to come up with something better like that because that's obviously first of all it's a it's a more expensive process and secondly it takes away the character of the ground that for some god awful notice reason they think is worth keeping like they want to keep the antiquity of the ground um and for the life of me i don't see any value in what in what that ground has to offer in the in the way of nostalgia or antiquity and let's face it it's not the old ground that was there before because the old ground ran the other way so it's it's what they're after is keeping the 70s version of a suburban ground like what why why do you want to keep a 70s version of the suburban ground you can understand to an extent people wanting to keep north sydney oval because of the old stands that are there that some of which um well at least one of which the bob stand came from the sydney cricket ground so they've got some historical significance over there. I don't know what significance the wooden Keith Barnes stand has, as you <laughs> mentioned, Morty. Like, it it, it the, is always such a bizarre like feeling walking into Leichhardt and then seeing that head-on stand not faced head-on. Like, yeah. Just crazy. Yeah, and, and look, it, it bears the name of a, of a great rugby league player and a fine man in Keith Barnes, but yeah. So anyway, I guess we're, I guess we're all of the, uh, uh, you know, the, to sum it up, we think it would be a, a bit of a, a waste of money going in there. We can sympathise with Tigers fans who aren't in what we're told is the majority um, that would prefer to be in something much more comfortable and not have to put up with all the traffic and, and the lack of parking and all that around there. So we sympathise with the, the people that feel that way. And we'd love for you to have better facilities and a better stadium and better parking options and better toilets and uh, better better food outlets and all the things that come with a modern stadium. I think you could probably get that at Campbelltown. And you certainly get it when you play games at, at Combank Stadium. Mm-hmm. So not that we want to give away our time at Combank Stadium in any way, shape or form. It's our ground, not theirs. But uh, anyway, <laughs> fellas, I think that's probably a good place to wrap things up. Yep. Um, as we start to go, uh, you know, throwing out barbs at the uh, West Tigers Club in some way. But they did leave us in that mood after dicking us around with the <laughs> the Joe Offengawi signing today. So we, we'll finish with those few barbs. But to everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us again. John and Clint, thank you. Uh, really appreciate your input tonight, gents. And to everyone, just a reminder, we are at Paraleagues, Jack's Bar and Grill from 6.15pm Friday night. Special guest star, John Muggleton, joining us to preview the big match between the Eels and the Cowboys. We'll see you there. Go, you Eels.